Hi, it's Harry. Welcome to episode 42 of the Alston Pudding podcast. Alston Pudding presents the podcast. The podcast that is presented by Alston Pudding, our sponsor, continues not to be Polar Seltzer. Coming at you pretty late in the evening here on a Sunday, by which I mean 11 p.m. It's past my bedtime. It should be night-night time at PJ hours, real pajama hours up in here. But I just wanted to record the intro and outro to this episode. My guest this week is Haya. She is an electronic DJ, producer, and what's really interesting about her music, what drew me in, was that she combines a lot of her Yiddish heritage into her music through samples of klezmer music over a canvas of various electronic genres like house and techno, but also with the vocal sample she chooses. She helped kickstart Klezstronica, a recurring Yiddish electronic night in Brooklyn, but she splits her time between, mostly between New York and Boston. This was a fun, very informative interview. We pro- probably, I think this this episode is the most, like, this show has ever discussed God as uh, in concept, which uh, made for a pretty interesting talk. But yeah, I don't, I don't want to take up too much. I don't have too much to say. Uh, just uh, there's still two weeks, a little less than two weeks now to vote for the Boston Music Awards. The voting closes November seventeenth. Um, so remember, you can vote for this show for podcast radio show of the year. You can vote for Austin Pudding. You can vote for Austin Pudding for Music Publication of the Year. You should vote for Emily Gardner for Live Music Photographer of the Year. And then you can vote for me, yours truly, for Music Journalist of the Year. I appreciate any and all votes. Pokemon go to the polls, get out the vote, rock the vote. Anyway, here's my interview with Haya. Every look between you was a sign Your sacrifice melts my mind I walk east, trace the things I never knew To be my life
Welcome to another episode of Alston Pudding Presents The Podcast. My guest this week is electronic producer and DJ Haya. I, all right, I'm going to go back to what we were just talking about. I got to get a little more throat in there. Haya? <laughs> was, that, was that better? That was amazing. Okay. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing very good. I'm in Northampton right now. It's beautiful and sunny. Yeah. Um, I'm at this Yiddish music festival here called Yidstock. <laughs> Hell yeah. Are, are you performing? Yeah, it's a time. Um, I'm not sure. Probably not. <laughs> um, but I'm here just crashing with my friends who are performing and we're having a great time. That's amazing. Do you live out in Western Mass? Um, no, I, I'm sort of bouncing around right now, but um, my apartment is in Cambridge. Okay, cool. That's um, where I, I am right now. Amazing. Um, and then I'm back and forth between Boston and Western Mass and New York, um, which is where I'm from. Um, but yeah, just all, all, over the, all over the Northeast. It's a great place to bounce around. Yeah. How long have you been uh, DJing? and producing i've been djing for about three or four years now so really not that long but i've been producing for a decade and a half is that true maybe just a decade <laughs> yeah wow I, I mean that's uh probably got your ten thousand hours in at this point uh, <laughs> i'm working on it <laughs> um are you originally from boston no i'm from new york i'm from 120th i grew up on the columbia campus my mom teaches there um and then we lived in Boston for one year when I was growing up, but I really didn't move there until I started college. Okay. Where'd you go to school? I went to NEC, New England Conservatory, so music school. Oh, okay. What were you studying there? I was studying this thing called contemporary improvisation, which at NEC, it really just means not classical, not jazz. But um, we did a lot of sort of jazz, and which is weird because it's like the not jazz department we did a lot of jazz harmony and um jazz theory especially a lot of modern jazz um as well as free jazz and also um a lot of jewish music so it was all the people who are playing traditional music of various cultures are in that department and um it was partially founded and helped grow by a really big jewish music pioneer named hank isnetsky okay what instrument were you specializing in? I play accordion. Oh, okay. You don't meet many accordion players. Yeah, it's like the only music school that teaches accordion, um, which is great. And they have like three accordion faculty. And when I was there, they had like five accordion students, and um, which is big for accordion playing. Um, and... Yeah, it was great. I, I grew up playing Jewish music, so I played accordion and klezmer bands all through high school, and I still do a lot of that, accordion gigs. And uh, so klezmer is, uh, this is actually the second time klezmer has been mentioned this season of the show. Amazing. Uh, it was like a, pa a passing reference in an earlier episode. It's like, a, it's a genre that I only learned about like a couple years ago, uh, only Sick. in like passing. Um because I was working at a record store and we had like a like a large section of like world folkloric music. And so we had like a decent klezmer section and like 
a couple, you know, like every, every month or so someone would come in like looking, do you have any klezmer? And we'd have to like know enough about like the section to like talk about who we got. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. I've never been to a record store that has that service available, but I should go to that record store. Planet Records in uh in Cambridge in uh just Amazing. outside of I'll Harvard Square. Yeah, yeah. Ask ask for Klezmer, tell him Harry sent you. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. There uh we had um there was a guy who would call like once a month for a little bit uh from Brooklyn and he was only ever looking for like like rare Beatles bootlegs of like outtakes at, or Klezmer. Did you or, have them? Uh, yeah, yo, we had so many like Beatles outtakes, like live bootlegs, uh, not officially licensed by Apple Music or anything like that. Not Apple Music, the uh, the app. I mean, Apple Records, the Beatles label. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> uh, Wait, so who was this person? Do I know them? Uh, he's. I don't assume you know every Jewish man in Brooklyn over the age of like sixty five. <laughs> Well, a lot of the klezmer scene is very small. So if this person was in any way sort of affiliated, there's a chance I would know them. I don't know about his affiliation with the scene. I just know he was very enthusiastic about those two types of scene. And then sometimes he would ask for death metal too, actually. Amazing. Which would, and I was like, this is a curveball. You're so interesting. He would always ask for me by name Whoa. on the phone because I was like the first person who helped him. And he was like, he invited me. He invited me, like, he was like, next time you're in Bo- Brooklyn, come and I'll, like, smoke you up. Like, <laughs> like offered to, oh my God. you know, smoke weed with me. <laughs> I love uh, this person. I need to get in touch with this person uh, when I'm in Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, he's like a CPA. I forget his name. Um, I'll, I'll have to find those, those emails <laughs> from back in the day. Uh, anyway, so that's. That's my previous exposure to Klezmer. But um, I kind of had a feeling that you, you've you used samples of Klezmer in some of your your tracks. Yeah, that's sort of my thing is like... Klezmer, I think Klezmer. I read. Yeah, Klezmer, using samples from archival Eastern European Jewish music um, from various eras. And um, if that's dance music, then it's Klezmer. But I also use Yiddish song and whatever, art music, um, cantorial music, orchestral music, all those kinds of things. That's really cool how you've uh, like found a way to fit that within a, an electronic landscape. I feel like, because so I'm also like an electronic DJ and producer. Sick. A you know, little bit. And so I, I really appreciate, um, I don't know, how you've kind of used that found a way to use that musical background that you studied at NEC and apply it to sort of this this canvas of of dance music. Yeah, I mean it's what I grew up with, you know, I my dad's a Jewish studies teacher and I grew up with um a lot of cantors and Jewish musicians coming sort of in and out of our house to study with him. Um and that was just great and like just growing up with all of that and having that so much feel so much a part of like me and who I am and in my bones and seeing 
all these beautiful spaces that other Jewish people have created through Jewish music and sort of the radical energy of those spaces is very much aligned to what I started learning about um, Black um, and queer house and techno spaces in so you mentioned that you might be performing at at this uh, Yiddish festival that you're at, but have you performed your music, like your dance music, at like similar events? And like, yeah. how, how does that sort of like fit into like the rest of like those lineups? I think people are still sort of figuring out how to fit it in. I first made an after party for this festival called Yiddish New York, which is the big Klezmer festival in New York. And that was great. That was sort of an after party rave um, at a venue in Brooklyn. Then I've done a bunch of different things. Like this last, a week ago, last weekend, I was DJing the cleanup portion of a festival out here in Western Mass called Kles Cummington. Um, and that was super weird because it was like everyone was cleaning up and it was like all the tunes that you had heard over the course of the weekend at the festival were now coming back as these sort of dance dance. Oh, wow. Tunes. Um, so you kind of like were remixing like none as like in real time. Yeah, I mix stuff in real. I usually mix stuff in real time. Oh, shit. I, I mean, I also produce and do samples, but even when I'm producing, I make a lot of my music on an SP404, which is a sampler. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. And that allows me to make a lot of the music in real time as if I were DJing, but I'm sort of playing the buttons like a drum. Oh, okay. um, And I've been taking, I'm about to start taking lessons with a klezmer drummer um, named Jerry Kisslinger, um, who is going to teach me even more about like how to really play this sampler that I have, like a klezmer drum style. Oh, that's cool. So you're like taking the, the kind of rhythmic stylings of the genre and then plugging that in as plugging sounds in as samples and then like trying to recreate that rhythmic style like via the sampler is that sort of what you're yeah that's exactly that's a really cool approach i'm trying to incorporate like this both the styles and the forms and the melodic motifs and the harmonies but also like the cultural context of klezmer music and like map that onto mm -hmm. the electronic dance music that i make Duncan Fury had his queen executed. That doesn't apply to me. anarchists envisioned a world without leaders, a system of mutual aid made up of interlocking federations and communes, and the working classes would spontaneously rise up and overthrow their oppressors. For this government to bring out all the settlements, all the settlers. Leave the country rather than deny my ideas. I prefer to stick to my guns. If something's good, people will look at it. 
We're role modeling principal disobedience to Jewish kids. Well, here I am with the boys. <laughs> so I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to do it on the street in New York. That's the news that we are commanded to help the orphan and the widow and the traveler. We are commanded. If Yiddish institutions didn't want gays and lesbians, then we got then we created Yiddish gay institutions. <laughs> oh, woman in the garden, all our friends listen for your voice. Let me hear it now. Hurry, my love, run away, my gazelle, my wild stag on the hills of cinnamon. Dark height, you know, hereness is something that's here now. <laughs> And thank you for trusting us to help God. Wherever we were rejected, we created our own space. There is something about um, a kind of rebelliousness about the whole Yiddish and sort of as an upstart. American Jewish communities are so shut down on certain politics, especially around Israel and stuff, that I think this created a space where, in fact, they um, could associate with a legitimate Jewish, Yiddish, identifiable, not self-hating phenomenon that was not necessarily anti-Israel, but not strongly Israel-centered and not strongly since Israel can, you know, kind of bound.
Yeah, I one of the tracks, uh, especially, um, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, so please correct me, but Utsu Aitza? Yeah, Utsu Aitza. Um, oh, Utsu Aitza, okay. Yeah, that one, um, I noticed there's just like a lot of like vocal samples, not singing vocals, but like just spoken word vocal samples that were like very educational um, in a lot of ways, uh, just like kind of talking about like, it sounded like, the modern state of Judaism, especially in the U.S., and also how queerness fits in, fits into Jewish identity. Yeah, that was a piece I made for. So these Plestronica raves have sort of become a bi-monthly thing. Once every two months in New York, I throw these giant klezmer parties. Um, the next one is this week on the 20th, um, July 20th. And then the one after that is um, October 21st, um, both in New York. And for the last one, I collaborated with this drag king named Sir Cum Sized. They're amazing. <laughs> They're really fantastic. And like that name is just so beautiful. Um and <laughs> keep talking because I'm gonna I need like five minutes to just <laughs> that yeah, that's incredible. And we sort of opened up the rave. Um and we had this whole parachute and it sort of opened up over everyone. And I played this track as part of that performance. And the idea was we're setting the context for this rave that's really deeply bound in our own ancestors and in sort of the radical history of both the Klezmer revival and also just Jewish music as a whole and Jewish theater and how everyone, a lot of people in Jewish theater historically have been queer and radical and lefty and, and diasporic. And 
So I was sampling a lot of people, anywhere from Emma Goldman, who's a famous Jewish anarchist. Um, she was born in the 1800s and then continued working um, into the 1900s. Um, and she was just amazing. So I sample a record, an early recording of her voice. And then I also sample Jenny Romaine, who's a current Jewish activist um, who I work with in various capacities um, and who's done a lot of work um, bringing younger queer people into Jewish music and making queer and radical and historically bound and diasporic spaces. Um, and then everyone in between of all ages. Um, so the idea was to say, this is the space that we're creating. This is Klesztronica. We're radical, we're queer, we're anarchist, we're diasporic. Um, you're entering into our space, basically deal with it. And that was the idea of the track. Wow, that's really cool. And and so your dance music influence, uh, like when did you start getting into dance music kind of alongside these traditional Yiddish music genres? Well, when I started producing, it would often come out as dance music because I was so influenced by the Yiddish, the klezmer, which is a Yiddish form of dance music. And so many of the rhythms in klezmer can map onto the rhythms in house, in techno, and um, in reggaeton. All these rhythms are very shared because they're just the rhythms that get people to dance. So when I started making electronic versions of Jewish music, it would often come out as house and techno or as reggaeton or as some of these, because I was just using electronic language on Jewish melodies and dance styles. Um, and that's how it would come out. And one of my friends said, oh, like that really sounds like house music. Um, and I started to get... So I was like, oh, yeah, let me listen to some house music. And I started to get really into Jeff Mills and all these Detroit people and Frankie Knuckles and Hell yeah, just like, Frankie Knuckles. <laughs> yeah. Um, and more, I guess, more modernly, Honey Dijon. Um, Hell yeah. And I started to DJ. Um, so I was starting college or in my second year of college at the time. And um, I started to DJ all these college parties because I was like, people need to be dancing to house and techno because everything is coming from there. All these, all these more modern forms of electronic music that people are dancing to are coming from these house and techno ancestors. So yeah, I just started, and also like so much of this music, like people were listening to all this music by these like white men from Europe. And mm -hmm. it's like, no, like this is all black music. Everything you're dancing to is black music. So it was really important to me and my DJ sets to like trace that lineage and um, yeah. And also like whatever um, uh, support other support black DJs who were DJing the same parties as I was and stuff like that. And I was so inspired by so my, so many of my black DJ friends who um, were, who were so, who were DJing out of this sense of like, ancestral lineage and this idea of like we have to trace this ancestry um which is so important um and i started to think more and more about the ways in which i was tracing my own ancestry through my dj sets and through my production and that sort of became the focal point of my music um 
So some of my some of my fellow DJs that I was really inspired by are Brenda Seja um, and Chalita and Mad Dog and Joe Borsellino and Sophia Higgins. Oh, Lava Girl is her name. Uh, she was a guest uh, a few episodes ago on the show. Amazing. She Friend and I lived together. Oh, many, my God. <laughs> for many years. Um, Hell yeah. So all these people were very, were very important. And all the spaces being made through Clear the Floor. Um, it was just very inspiring to me um, to trace my own lineage and ancestry while at the same time honoring the spaces that a lot of these Black DJs made possible. Mm-hmm. Like just rave space in general is like a black created phenomenon Absolutely, and yeah. um, honoring the ways in which that space could really be helpful to my community and to making my community a more equitable and more sympathetic place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and thank you for, um, you know, bringing up the, uh, the black and queer roots of like electronic music. Cause I think that's oftentimes forgotten on like the, the mainstream scale of like electronic music. Yeah. And you know, there's plenty of artists that acknowledge it and celebrate it, but also, you know, I think, I think especially like when I was getting into electronic, like a decade ago, like it was very much dominated by like, you know, white European men, like you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, it's super. People forget that Lee Scratch Perry invented electronic music as we know it today, mm. um, and really not that long ago. Like it's all it's it's a surprisingly fast paced forgetting. You know, mm. Lee Scratch Perry just passed away during the pandemic. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, and he was still doing like whatever. He was still doing remix commissions and all these things, and like in many ways didn't get his fair due. Yeah, all those like super reverb drenched dub remixes of like reggae oh, tracks. They're so cool. So, yeah, so good. That's like peak peak weed music. <laughs> There's like a lot of music. I mean, weed makes so much music sound great. <laughs> but for me, like that just I don't know. There's something really cool about just how spacious all that that reverb makes those baseline sound yeah and it's all these mixing techniques are really integral to electronic music you can't really separate the mixing from the creation Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's super interesting i'm waiting for um so the sp is the um instrument i use to make music and i'm waiting for roland who makes the sp to release a feature where we can export all of our pads as different stems so we can like um just get every sound individually and mix it after but for oh, yeah, now yeah. all the all the mixing all the techniques are all built into the instrument so i have to basically think about like post production and post post production post 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 production while i'm actually creating the sound which is super yeah. interesting no and i i liked what you were describing because when i'm djing you know you can always just do like transition tracks into tracks but i also like finding ways like through like whatever software I'm using, whatever like the onboard effects are just like using, you know, like chopping up loops a little bit like live. It's something like I'm trying to develop more in my own DJing, but it, you know, it lets you have like even more because DJing is so fun. Like I'm 
I'm sure like you have a lot of fun with it, the way you produce and the way you DJ. Yeah. It's so much fun. And I just want to keep finding more fun out of it. Um, And so, yeah, like finding those little, like trying to, to do all that live, like sounds like just like everything is sort of at your, in your hands with the, uh, the SP4. Yeah, it's really great. You can break down elements a lot more. Um, and I work a bit with Seba Kayan, who's an amazing um, Kurdish DJ. And she basically does the same thing that I do, or I do the same thing that she does um, with Jewish music, with Kurdish music. And we have similar sort of relationships to um, nationalism and, and community and all those things. And we've been talking a lot about how this form of DJing, trying to infuse either existing techno tracks with um, with the music of our cultures or um, making our own tracks. It's a lot about sort of figuring out what the smallest unit of cultural transmission is. So how short we can get this chop to be and for it to be still recognizable and people to still dance to it with our traditional dances mm. and just doing some a lot of that micro DJing, like chopping up these tracks into very, very small portions in a way that they're still recognizable and breathable is a lot of sort of how we make our music. I, th- I feel like electronic music has provided people like around the world from like whatever culture, um, because, you know, electronic is just a it's a super wide umbrella term. It's it's very unspecific. And so it kind of just allows I think I called it a canvas earlier but yeah like it's allowed like anywhere you go around the world there's probably some sort of electronic scene at this point and a lot of a lot of its practitioners are using sounds that are from traditional folkloric genres from from their cultures and just because of because of the the bare template of electronic is like percussive rhythm to that you can dance to it's very easy to sort of fit in like the various rhythms of those of those traditional genres over over this this template and yield some really cool results. Yeah, that's a really good point because there's electronic music, so much of electronic music is about layering different rhythms on top of each other and the amount of like tiny drums I can fit mm. between my big drums, my four on the floor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is just stupendous and I, love I can the, really love the tiny drums. Yeah, I always have a track called Tiny Drums on whatever my logic session <laughs> or, um, And then I can fit all these different kinds of Jewish rhythms into the macro space of the four on the floor.
Everything lives and nothing in time is ever lost. The word for train, a long wool coat, nothing in time is ever lost. I wanted no Yaffa, no Haifa, no Yanin. I know I will never see the carob tree unfurl an open palm. When I prayed, it was not for the rock, it was not for the building. It was for the moving of the hammer, the distance between us and the door. I know there is no handle. Wherever I stood, a castle of carob rose around me. They danced in a circle and sang a song, and, and. This, this is going to be, uh, I guess, sort of a direct pivot into like something else you mentioned, if we can change topics. But like one of the things you mentioned in the list you sent me of, of topics, people, artists that I should be familiar with was uh, the Zohar, yeah. which I, I had only briefly encountered in a college class on like the well the class was called uh, magic science and religion sick it was kind of like a historical lens of like forms of like what is now considered like occult spirituality and how it kind of worked either in conjunction or in opposition with like the religious the the mainstream religious beliefs at the time and how a lot of uh, I'm going to do air quotes. You can't see me and the listeners of the show can't <laughs> see me, but I'm doing air quotes. How like what is considered, what is considered magic was often like helped develop modern science. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, uh, Kabbalah is like one of the thing, one of the topics we, we covered. And it's, uh, I, I remember it like being super cool and very dense. <laughs> <laughs> you can say that again. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's really hard. My dad is a Zohar teacher, so that's his profession. He, yeah, he just, he basically just teaches Zohar. So he just teaches okay. from the text. Um, and he's done that my whole life. And he's been studying Zohar since he was in his late teens, early 20s. Um, and it's this giant book that it's mythologized to have been a hundred camel loads of volumes. But now it's about like whatever, ten or eleven volumes. <laughs> they made a wiki. And they condensed it a yeah, little. Yeah, they made a wiki version <laughs> version of it. Um, or or those other camelodes went went off into the desert, never to be found again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my dad. So it's this big book. It was written in the 13th century in Spain. Um, my dad. It's in all in Aramaic. It's in poetic Aramaic. So it's like really really hard to understand. And my dad has been studying it since he was a kid and still hasn't even, he says he hasn't even scratched the surface of it. Um, it's crazy. It's, it's a giant book. And um, a lot of it is sort of a response to um, Maimonides. So um, the Rambam um, was this big Jewish theologian earlier. I have to get the exact dates on that. I forget exactly when, but whatever, a couple centuries before the Zohar. And he Long said, time ago. Long time ago, he said, describing God would be heresy. God is undescribable. God is infinite. God is like, God is just like, like, you can't talk about God. You can't not talk about God. God is just like everything and nothing. And you can't possibly describe God. Um, and the Zohar said, okay, let's write a hundred camel loads describing God. 
<laughs> Screw you, Brombom. Um, we're going to describe the fuck out of God. We're going to describe the fuck out of God. And not only are we going to describe God, but we're going to describe God having sex with other parts of God and the female concubine of God and the grandfather of God and God running around with different dragons and different rabbis walking around encountering God in caves and on mountains and in these towns in the middle of nowhere and books lighting on fire and just like every possible descriptor that you could ever have for God. Which all sounds so fucking sick. It's all sick. It's it's so cool. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, I grew up with every week, my dad late at night. So my dad teaches at Brown, um, and he also teaches at various Jewish organizations, AJS, at AJS and Drisha and all these places. But he also teaches a class in our house. So I grew up every week, um, every week, really late at night on Thursday nights these people would come to our house and there would be wine and there would be candles and it would be very dark and they would all pour over the Zohar and they would be talking about dragons. And my dad always let me sit next to him. Um, and these classes would go like all night. Um, they still do. Uh, they still meet. Um, and it was just amazing to grow up with feeling so deeply that Judaism and Jewish culture was this deep mythic, um, fairy tale reality magic thing um, that had all these multitudes within it, um, and that's really that was really my introduction to Jewish culture and life, which was just incredible. Um, and so I write a lot of my songs incorporate parts of Zoharic mythology into them um, with random people walking around and finding finding books, finding caves, finding different things. And mm. a lot of my songwriting is about um, taking these day-to-day -day things that happen in my life, maybe sitting around a Passover Seder or, I don't know, going to the grocery store and making them into Zoharic mythologized stories um, and with all the sort of characters that come from Zoharic stories, like rooms with many doors and dragons and sea creatures and all those things. I love that. Like adding a little fantasy mythologizing to your, to your own like day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Or like sort of understanding that all these mundane things that happen to me in my life are tied to my ancestors and tied to Jewish culture and thought and mythology. And the Zohar is a rich bed for that. Mm. Uh, is that sort of the case with, um, that description kind of brought to mind uh, a couple of the tracks that you had sent over, like Sunrise and like I Walk East, especially. Uh, like, is that so? I'm guessing that's that was you singing the vocals on those songs. Yeah. Nice. Well, I I love the vocals on those songs because I think the the <laughs> other the other tracks that I just listened on to on your SoundCloud, I hadn't heard any with with your vocals, and so I was <laughs> glad you sent those over. Um, uh, yeah, those are demos for an, those are demos for an album that I'm recording at the end of this month. Um, Ooh, exciting! That's going to be house and techno, but songwriting embedded in those styles, focused, um, and also klezmer. And I have a three part klezmer band and a two part jazz duo. And yeah, it's all it's all coming together at the end of this month. Mm, yeah, I definitely heard a little jazz inflection in your voice on those those songs. Yeah, jazz is 
jazz is infinite. Jazz is like how many different combinations can we make with all these different experiences of music. I really, really love jazz, and it was such a big part of what I studied in school. But yeah, so like the, that mystical quality definitely came through. I, like I don't remember the specific lyrics because I like was just listening and didn't have like any any written lyrics, but they did have like a very mystical, like wondrous quality, like kind of confronting like the beautiful mystery of just like existence. That's very kind. Thank you. <laughs> was there any specific aspects of the Zohar or other Yiddish traditions or aspects of Judaism that uh, were on your mind with those particular songs when you were writing lyrics for that? Well, there's a story in the Zohar. A lot of the things in the Zohar happen in the middle of the night because um, Kabbalists used to get up in the middle of the night and study all night. So um, there's a lot of stories in the Zohar about rabbis going on walks and in the nighttime they discover something, but by daytime that thing has totally disappeared. Um, mm. And I thought a lot about that. I was at this, we've been going to these Passover seders at my family friend's house for years and years um, that, and they take all night and everyone's gets really drunk and high and all these things, but it's also like everyone stays up till sunrise just singing and dancing. Sort of sounds like a rave. <laughs> It, yeah, and that's totally how I grew up. I mean, going to these seders, doing these things really late at night. All these spaces, these Jewish spaces that I grew up in really felt mm -hmm. like rave spaces. Um, and what I came to know of rave spaces as I got older. Um, but yeah, so I so I wrote Sunrise about that Passover seder. Um, and one of the things that I really confront in that song is the fear that in the daytime, when I return to the secular world, when I return to, I don't know, secular job or gigs or whatever, life, the bank, the post office, that all these things will disappear. Um, and my father has been like a big person in my life for sort of preserving that magic for me. So there's a story in the Zohar about two rabbis. They get to a cave. They discover a book oh, in the yeah. cave, and the book contains all the secrets of the universe. And they read the book, and then all of a sudden the book bursts into flames, and they forget everything that they've learned. <laughs> um, so in that story, I describe how I've gone home from the Passover Seder, and I've gone to bed because I got tired, and my dad comes into my room and he wraps a scroll around my night table and even I say that even daylight cannot unwind even the light of day even the piercing fire of the sun is not going to break all the secrets of the universe that he's taught me and my dad does this thing where he hides random books around my room that have hold mystical secrets and <laughs> hopes that I find them and discover them that's um, really cute I love that. It's re it's really cute. So I'll come home when I when I'm home visiting home. I'll come home and I'll say, "Oh, I just found this amazing book on my shelf. I've been really really been liking it. You should check it out." And he'll say, "Oh yes, I hid it there for you." Um, so I describe so that. Cute. I say, "Oh my god." <laughs> I say he he wraps books around my night table that even daylight cannot unwind. And with sunlight around my bed, he sends an angel to touch my head. So this kind of symbol of protection, um, we often describe angels all around us, sort of in, in Judaism, Jewish mythology and text. Um, and there's also this myth in Judaism that the little thing above your lip, the little indent above your lip is an angel that touches you. And 
when you're born, an angel touches you there, makes that indent, and you forget all the secrets of the universe. So sort of a similar trope <laughs> to the burning book. Um, but yeah, so that's the, so I say he sends an angel to touch my head. And usually when I perform it live, I touch that indent right above my lip so that people who know it can say, oh, that's, that's where she's getting that from. Um, and then I say all the fear of the passing night melts into that light. Um, the light of the angel of this book, all the, all the, even in the secular world that I bring myself into, all this magic can still find me because I'm protected by my father and by my ancestors and by Jewish culture and mythology. Wow. That's uh, that's really beautiful. I like that a lot, both in, in terms of how it relates to like your ancestral lineage, both in like a localized sense, like just it's a very sweet expression of affection for your father but then also how that is a connection to this this longer historical lens that's really cool thanks for uh breaking that down (laughs) thanks i feel like i'm on genius or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're doing your own genius annotations right now Yeah, can you make a video version of this where I'm like in a yellow box and I can like point out all my yellow words? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we, uh, we can work on that. I'll I'll okay, <laughs> try to hire some video team. <laughs> <laughs> mess around, mess around with a uh, iMovie a little bit. Yeah, I believe in you. <laughs> Thank you. is a person 
in a more like practical sense. So I know you had hit me up a few months ago because you were doing a birthday show. Happy belated, by the way. I know it's like over a month ago now, but um, yeah, it's actually one month today was the sh- was the show at the Rockwell that you did um, with uh, Chalita, Pink Naval, Adrian Chabla. Um, do you have any f- shows coming up like around Boston specifically? <laughs> Yeah, I'm playing at the Lily Pad um, on, let me check my calendar. Um, I'm playing at the Lily Pad on the 19th, on August 19th. Um, and I'll be playing with my Klezmer band. Um, so it's a sort of a trio Klezmer band. I call us like the Peter, Paul, and Mary of Klezmer. We do a lot of lullabies and songs all in three-part harmony. And then I'll be doing a little electronic set after that. Love the lily pad. Great place to play. Oh, yeah. Lily pad is great. Um, the la- I'm part of this um, magazine called um, Dejame, which is um, an amazing music magazine that did a profile on me. And they, they threw a show at the lily pad. And it was just like such a beautiful expression of community in so many ways, that space. Mm. And I'm sorry, could you just repeat what the date is of that show? Uh, that is August 19th. Okay, cool. Um, oh, and then I'll also be performing at NYSAFest, which is, I guess, oh, yeah, yeah. Next a week weekend. from tomorrow. Yeah. I um, uh, sadly can't make it. I'll be in Chicago uh, going to Pitchfork Festival next weekend. Oh, my God. Uh, I was or, there last year. Oh, nice. Yeah. I um, I got approved to to shoot, uh, like take photos and like cover the fest for, for Austin Pudding. So I'm excited. But I went to NYSAFest last year. And it was an amazing time. And like, I had so many, like the lineup this year, I'm like even more excited for like, cause I know so many people on the lineup. So a lot, of, a lot of names of people I know personally on that lineup, uh, that, uh, for the listeners that is next weekend. Uh, actually uh, this episode is probably going to come out after that. Uh, but it's next year then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Come yeah. through. But it's a great festival mm-hmm. and everyone should go so it can, can keep going. Yeah. Which, uh, which night are you performing? I'm performing. I'm closing off the whole festival, which is a lot of pressure. Ooh. I'm quite nervous. And is that, is that um, a DJ set? Yeah. Um, yeah, so no singing, I think, but um, yeah, a lot of a lot of my my own tracks and just in general, it's just a Klestronica set. So I'm gonna be, yeah, spinning spinning Jewish music, um, and I'm very excited for that. But yeah, it's a lot of a lot of pressure to be closing off the whole festival. Hopefully, people will be tired by then, and they'll be like, "Oh, we're tired, and we like music." <laughs> yeah, or or better than being tired maybe they'll just be like you know we've been we've been vibing drinking all day let's dance a little bit (laughs) yeah yeah uh so is that it uh are you doing it at crystal ballroom or the rockwell crystal ballroom baby get that get that big room bigger room i love i love crystal ballroom it's such a great venue yeah it's uh it's been uh especially with all recent years closures of venues uh, I'm really glad they opened up. Um, I like I live like five minutes from Davis Square, so uh, it's a nice spot. Fantastic. I used to live in Inman, so 
I oh, know nice. The, nice. I know the feeling of being in Somerville and how great it is. Also, uh, the other big reason I'm a little gutted to be missing Nice Fest this year is because uh, uh, maybe I I hope there's still a sponsor for this year. But last year, Grillo's Pickles was a sponsor, and you could buy pickles. Whoa. You could buy pickles at the bar. They had a bunch of like pickle. That's so cool. Yeah, like pickleback related drinks, you know, like with pickle juice. But you could also just buy pickle spears at the bar. And I think like every time I, my friends turned around, they saw me with another like cup of pickle spears. Uh, <laughs> and I was just just facing uh, like individual pickle spears the whole time. I love pickles. Uh, That's so. a great thing to face. Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> So, so, uh, if, uh, if you like pickles, if any of the listeners like pickles, again, this is all going to come out after the, the, (laughs) this show is going to come out after the festival, but maybe I'll shill right now for Grillo's pickles to come and sponsor this show. Uh, if anyone from Grillo's is listening, (laughs) if you want to give me money and I'll talk about how great your pickles are. I'd love some local sponsors. I would love some pickles right now. Yeah. <laughs> that would be fantastic. If you're hearing this. Yeah. Grillo's, I'm happy to make you the official pickle sponsor of Alston Pudding Presents the Podcast. <laughs> don't don't miss your chance and let Vlasic swoop in. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want it to come to that. Is that a threat? I mean, if they if they wait too long, you know, I'm gonna. I want Grillos. I like Grillos better. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I'll like after this, I'll come up with a pitch plan and like try to pitch to them why they should be sponsors. They're local. They That's sponsors. why I want to support them, and I want them to support me. <laughs> I want I want them to support us. I will talk about. Grillo's pickles every episode of this show if it means <laughs> getting a lifetime supply of free pickles. <laughs> I would also like some pickles. Just yeah. putting it out there. Well, when this happens, you can come back on the show and we can just we can just have an episode where we just eat pickles and and talk about dance music. That would be great. Um as a Jewish person, that makes me very happy. There's a pickle festival in Brooklyn that happens every year that I need to go to. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> they have they have horseradish pickles, which is a really a really great thing. That's the next one of the next things I want to kind of get to in my own like culinary adventures is like I got to start pickling my own shit. <laughs> I like pickling stuff, but it always I used to live in a co-op where there was a lot of pickled stuff all the time. It just makes everything smell so bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, if you can do it, if you can stand it, then do it. <laughs> so now we're looking at the time. I'm going to say, I'm going to kind of give you the chance to give some, like, closing remarks. Uh, self-promotion time, anything, just anything you want to kind of cover at the end. Uh, like, where to interact with your music uh, for listeners like where they can find your music where they can you know we mentioned a couple upcoming shows closing remarks time yeah the big thing is um 
I mean, if you're in New York, come to Klestronica on October 21st. Um, it will either be at Transpicos or at Elsewhere, um, both amazing venues in yeah, Brooklyn. Both amazing venues, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's going to be a great show. But also, um, you, if you want to stay up to date with any of my music, any of the things I'm doing, basically any of the shows, any of the musics, everything, um, you can follow me on Instagram at Chayale, so C-H-A-I-A-L-E-H, C-H-A-I-A-L-E-H. Um, yeah, that's like where I post everything and I have a link tree up there with, yeah, all, all the different Spotify, SoundCloud links, um, to my music and all the updates will be posted there about anything that's worth, worth knowing going on. And I also wanted to shout out, um, clear the floor for just being like the best DJ collective ever. Um, I love them so dearly and they have been so supportive to me and, in everything that I do and yeah, you guys should support them too. They do, they throw really, really cool shows um, in general. Um, and obviously Lava Girl, Brenda Seja, like all my, all my homies like are fantastic um, people. Hell yeah. Thank you so much. Hi. Oh, what? Hold on. Hiya. <laughs> Want to get it. Gotta get it right. I need these edits to be super smooth. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, well, I'll work on it. I'll fix it in post. <laughs> yeah, you can even just take a huh sound from the internet yeah. and put it onto your own voice. <laughs> yeah, I, to get that much, to get that far in the back of my throat, I have to take a second to like step back and like wind it up, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I support that. But yeah, thank you so much. Have a have fun at the the rest of the Yiddish festival. Thank you. Um, yeah. Wait, maybe you can edit this in. But another thing I just want to give a shout out to is my friend Rebecca Mack um, leads. If anyone's interested in klezmer, my friend Rebecca Mack leads these amazing klezmer jams at Club Passim and at the Boston Synagogue. And one of them is a week from Sunday, but they, they happen all throughout the year. So if you're looking to get into Klezmer, that's the place to do it. Hell yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. This has been great. Thank you for talking to me and asking me questions that I really wanted to answer. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people I... ask me questions and I'm like, do I really want to answer this? But <laughs> every single question you had was a hard hitter. So Thank you. That. Well, I hope not like too hard. I hope like, like, I, you know, I want to make like a, a space where like people just feel like comfortable talking about like everything that inspires their own art, you know, and just, yeah. like I said, you know, I want this to be like really conversational and, you know, I, I, I might like one of my favorite things is just to hear people talk about their own like artistic endeavors and like what, what goes into that, what informs that. So thank you for being open to breaking all that down for me, especially like a lot of stuff that I was unfamiliar with. Did oh. Oh, I thought I lost you for a second, <laughs> but oh, wait, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You just made space for me to talk about the things I really love. So tell that to like Beyonce or whoever you're interviewing. <laughs> yeah. She's actually uh, next week's guest. So, Oh, great. great. <laughs> yeah. Tell her I say hi. Yeah. Save her a pickle. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs>
uh, next time she makes a house album, I'll, I'll recommend you as a producer. Oh my God. It's so good. Uh, okay. Big Beyonce fan. Last album was great. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, have a great one. (laughs) All right. See ya. is a place of care and kindness. As this young woman goes under the ether, listen to her name.
with death is not something that happens once in a lifetime, but one should be experiencing the cycle of life and death constantly in your lives, at least every day, at least every day, so that the death-life division is fractally inscribed in life. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Ethan, as always. Thank you to Alston Pudding, everyone involved with that. Thank you to Haya for uh, coming on the show. Thank you to anyone who votes Alston Pudding for the BMAs. Thanks to you, the listener. Thanks to Polar Seltzer for just being there, not sponsoring the show. Uh, Call me. But still, I want to thank them regularly keeping me hydrated with their delicious seltzers wide array of flavors see it's such a it's so natural it comes so naturally to me to advertise for this brand if only i'm not gonna beg if they i don't think they listen to this show but if they hear this should they chance upon this podcast should anyone at polar chance upon this podcast i'm right here Hit my line. That's it. That's all I got this week. Uh, We'll be back soon. Have a great week, y'all.